right, Sarah. Well, yeah, I, here we are. Ready? Oh. oh, my God. God, Brian, what did you do now? There are flowers and torches everywhere. Hi, guys. How's what? it going? Brian, firstly, did you have a stroke? Nah. All right. Secondly, why is our guest host dressed as a kebab boy serving drinks? Don't worry about it, dude. So I thought maybe because it was, uh, you know, we were going to do the history of surfing, I would turn the nerd cave into a tiki bar. This doesn't make sense. John, why are you even here? I I, I don't know. I, I woke up like this. Might I? Yes, but still, what does this have to do with surfing? Guys, t- tiki bars are totally a spinoff of surfer culture. Well, no, they're not. <laughs> yeah. and I who- dated a surfer chick for like two weeks. She knew. She told me this. Wait, wait, what's her name? Lana. Lana, yeah. I uh, I dated her for two weeks as well. No! Yeah, I, she lied to you. Yeah. yeah. This is totally sure. a reflection of America's interest in Polynesian culture in ha- like the 1930s. It has think. nothing to do with surfing, actually. I'm pretty sure it actually had to do with a restaurant in, in Hollywood, of all places. Yeah. God damn it. But you know, I'll totally have that big blue drink in the punch bowl. Oh, what's the point? to Nerds on History. I am Eric Brickman. And I'm like Sarah Ashley. Sha! And I'm totally Brian Moriarty. Sha, you are! Sha! Alright, let's not do that. <laughs> let's not do that anymore. Let's not. Let's just not. No. Yeah, that was an acting teacher's nightmare, what this, just happened. <laughs> this is not Nerds on Keanu Reeves. Yeah, not the, not, not the <laughs> acting Kung Fu. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whoa. Uh, not, not just not the acting per se, because I think that was actually pretty good. Yeah. The lazy diction is an acting teacher's nightmare because all the articulators are relaxed when you do it. I'm going, that's just a small tangent. Let's move on, shall we? Please, uh, God, guest. yes. Guest. We have a guest host. We have a Yay. guest in the room this evening. A uh, friend of ours, a jack of all trades, a renaissance man. And of course, he is a surfer. So, as well as a surfing enthusiast. So, let's welcome to the show, John Thomason. Hello. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Tomosan. Yes, Tomosan. Yes. Um, you know what, actually, how it, that name came about john was transferred into our office because uh, we all used to work together uh, eric and john do still work together uh and they sent they misspelled business cards so it was john tomosan right tomosan, tomosan. i remember you showed it to me and then we yeah. started calling it tomosan tomosan which we apologize to our japanese listeners <laughs> it's just a light nickname it doesn't we don't mean to yeah whoever them. prints our business cards it's entirely their fault yes yeah. so send all your hate mail to them and and also it's really unfortunate, but you do have something like five or six names in the in in our office, and I can never know who's talking about you at any given time because I you're a new person every week. You're like Doctor Who. I you're do. constantly it's regenerating. It's great. I change I change my name every day, so I am uh, <laughs> mysterious to yeah. everyone. Um, but the reason why you're here is because I mean you were I mean I wasn't kidding. You really are a Renaissance man. You you went to film school, uh, so you've done that. You've also done blacksmithing as an interest you built a motorcycle from uh underwater archaeology right that's right you've done a little bit of that too underwater archaeology as well i Uh, actually uh yeah yeah and then you've been a surfer for a little while too speaking of the water yes absolutely so i i from north carolina and so the waves are a bit different out there but uh you're still good times i surfed in college and what part of north carolina are you from charlotte oh my mom's like 20 minutes outside of charlotte oh that's crazy yeah small town yep (laughs) 
Well, actually, it's a big town, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, really, it's it's small. Everyone, small world. anyone and everyone I've ever met from North Carolina is from Charlotte. Well, they say that because it's the it's either Charlotte one or place Raleigh. that people would know. Yeah, like Charlotte or Raleigh. But yeah. really, I'm from yeah. Davidson, which is you know 30 minutes north of Charlotte. Right. I it's mean, like saying we're from San, San Jose or San Francisco yeah. because those are the two major cities in the area. When really, where none of us are from. Yeah. Well, Eric is, but I'm not, and Sarah's I'm not. not. Yeah. I'm so. from San Jose. Oh yeah, I am. Oh yeah, he is. Deep roots. So let's talk about surfing, shall we? Yes, let's hit the waves. Cha. <laughs> Sorry, Cha. I, I just catch a wave and you'll be sitting on top let's of the, the world. Sound waves, guys. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, Come god. on. Oh no. All right, I'm leaving. <laughs> <laughs> really? So Eric can make a bad pun, and it's it's everything's fine. I do it, and everyone wants to walk out. That's right. Yep. You know standard, why? Folks. You know why? Delivery. Yeah. And it's expected of me. And it's literally the only thing I have. I feel sorry for him. <laughs> <laughs> pity laugh. Pity laugh. So, so, thank you. That's pity clapping, but okay, thank you. So where does surfing start, guys? Uh, Polynesia. Thank you. It absolutely does. Um, if we kind of look back at the history of like the Pacific Island peoples, um, a lot of them probably came over from Indonesia and started making their way out and populating out all those islands. Uh, but more specifically, the really the major discovery of surfing to expose it to the rest of the Western world was found in Hawaii. Right. Um, and we can kind of thank Captain James Cook for sharing that with, you know, with the rest of the Western world, is oh, what I'm saying. Captain James Cook, Cook. Yeah. maybe by proxy, mm-hmm. because really it was Lieutenant James King who documented it for the sure, first time. Sure. James Cook was an idiot and got himself killed yeah, trying Cook to capture... Yeah, Cook brought them there, though. And yeah. can we talk about that for a minute? Yes, yes. Because we can. it's such a great story. Because, yeah, so Captain James Cook uh, and the British ship, or two actually ships, land in Hawaii... And one the of the discovery and the resolution. Thank you. Let's make sure we and, and to put this in the context of the time we're talking 17, about 1778. Thank you. And uh, he he captures so silly. He captures a Hawaiian noble in order to get one of the stolen ships back, and the Hawaiians decide just to kill him instead. So well, and, and put a little context into all of this, right? So why Captain Cook's out there in the first place is he's trying to find a passage to the North Atlantic, mm-hmm. uh, or from the Atlantic from the from the North Pacific. So he keeps sailing north and finding nothing that's going to get him to where he wants to be. So he keeps coming back to Hawaii. This is his third trip back around, and by this time, him and his men have thoroughly annoyed and aggravated the the natives' people here, right? It's like, dude, you again? Yeah, really. And they said it just like that, dude. <laughs> That's actually where it started. The yeah. word "dude" originated uh, as a result of Cook That's landing not true. on the That's actually not true. The word dude. Yeah, I know we did. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, but but the point being is that uh, it was starting to get a little hostile, and you know the, the natives were taking out their frustrations on these folks, and you know a group of them decided to steal one of his small ships, uh, and he thought, well, okay, well if you're going to take one of my things, I'm going to take one of yours, and I'm going to kidnap your king. Because that makes sense, right? And then they killed him. Yeah, and they killed him. <laughs> yeah. they, they smashed his skull in uh, uh, and stabbed him. And it was even his still lieutenant. Though, as yeah. you do. Yes. <laughs> e- even still, though, I think it is worth noting that 
you know, while they were aggravated with him, a certain group of people did kill him. They decided to, you know, honor him. So they did bring him back and they, they actually performed rituals around his burial that were synonymous with the same that they would perform for their kings. So they did disembowel him and, and uh, you know, also uh, do you know, perform a ritual on the flesh and what have you that was all very characteristic. And they returned the remains that were left over back to they didn't, uh, his you crew. Know, bury him in a pit, wrap him up in leaves, have a party, put an apple in his mouth. No, I'm pretty no. sure that'd be the most disrespectful. Yeah, we're going to treat like we our pigs. Um, <laughs> but but they, the point is, they gave yeah. the body back, and they were able to bury yes. him with honors at sea. That being said, his lieutenant, who was James King, yes. was tasked with commanding the ship at that point, as well as completing his journals, his yes. traveling journals. Uh, and he happens to observe wave writing uh, one of these days, uh, and. Essentially, when he brings it back to England, he has the first European documentation of surfing yes. that took place. Mm-hmm. And this is where the, the term surfboarding comes from, yeah. uh, in, in reference to those original journals. Right. And wave writing actually goes back to Polynesia. Mm-hmm. And we think that's one of the cultural traditions that migrated to Hawaii when Polynesians mm-hmm. spread well, to there. And, and, you know, it's worth mentioning that for a moment, too, folks, because it makes a lot of sense, considering to get from one island to the other, you, you would obviously use small kind of bundled reed boats to, to get there. That's what was available. Large canoes and that kind of thing. Sure. Right. So that, that shape was already well established mm-hmm. in their history and culture. Um, but body surfing in general is, is an efficient means, but to get from there to the shore. So it makes sense that if you're landing on this place that you would call home and you are using your body to get to the shore, that you would create some sort of, you know, ritual or, or symbolic um, practice out of that. I'm trying to think of the phrase that Brian used several episodes ago when we were talking about the beginning of people in the Americas when he said when he's like some sort of maritime craft and I just look at him and go you mean a boat <laughs> <laughs> sorry that was that was classic <laughs> classic so Brian. some sort of <laughs> some sort of maritime airplane? craft yeah. yes. <laughs> some sort of Polynesian maritime craft to move <laughs> from one island to the next. <laughs> Suddenly I've become British. <laughs> I'll call it a butt. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the, the point being that, you yes. know, they were very comfortable with the ocean and it's no big surprise that the, the act of surfing, which is deeply rooted in Hawaiian religion and culture mm-hmm. and, and these traditions surrounding their, their leadership yeah. uh, and their gods, you know, would be something that would be observed by Lieutenant King. And it's really hard for us to actually, you know, pinpoint where that came from because Hawaiians didn't write anything down until white people showed up. Howleys. Right. We'll, we'll just call them Howleys for the rest of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is, the, which is the, the Hawaiian term. The Hawaiian term for white people. For yeah. whiteies, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's sort of derogatory. But whatever, we're all wet here. <laughs> but you know what? I want to give it to them, considering what happened. We'll oh, talk about absolutely. that in a little bit. Yeah, we oh, did yeah. kind of like ruin their culture. Yeah, uh, just, you know, accidental of... extermination of majority of their population. And yeah. it's freaking syphilis, man. Sailors Sucks. cannot keep it in their pants. Not only that, but I mean, surfing was suppressed too when Calvinism yeah. spread too. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get and there. we'll get we'll there. Get so, there. Um, but the point is, is that we don't actually really know where surfing actually originated for the Hawaiian people, how it developed, how they started using boards, how they developed their boards, things like that, because they didn't write it down. What they did have, however, were songs and chants um, and stories about 
amazing surfers or people, you know, finding love on the waves and that kind yeah. of thing. So it was all very romanticized and it was yeah. part of their festivals. Well, oral tradition is a key part of passing down history pre-writing and it has to be memorized and it usually is done through a form of songs. So, and very yeah. limited forms of archaeological evidence that do exist suggest mm -hmm. that there was also something very similar being practiced in Tahiti as well. Sure. So it was probably Absolutely. migrating and moving. And oh, when yeah. it got to the Hawaiian Islands, it very well have been there for about maybe 400 years by the time you know, Cook and, and his men arrived. So regardless, it was highly established as part of their culture and because of the influence that, mm -hmm. you know. But it was, but really of all the evidence that yeah. they do have, they do know that Hawaii is kind of the epicenter of it, that it's worth that, it. that it was the technique started being perfected there. Well, it, it was certainly the culture that assimilated it mm -hmm. most into their, their belief system. Yeah. Uh, and with that, let's talk a little bit about how, you know, surfing was viewed before we went there and screwed everything up. Yeah. Uh, because the king in Hawaii, you know, one of the many ways that the king would show his prowess and, and how his family would also show their wealth and prowess was the proficiency on the surfboard. And these were very difficult pieces of hardware to, to you know, navigate. Some of them were as long as 24 feet uh, with, you know, more of the average board being about 15 feet long. So these are gigantic, massive pieces of wood. And quite frankly, anybody who has the the strength and coordination to be able to navigate something like that and ride some pretty big yeah. waves with it, uh, yeah, I don't know about you guys, but I give them some cred. I no, mean, it's pretty yeah. intense, and yep. and understanding that you know they weren't as light as they are now. These no, are no. solid hunks of wood, right? And the craftsmanship to make that type of board seaworthy is pretty amazing too. So, I mean, John. You know, you're obviously you're hearing us describe these ancient sea uh, uh, surfboards compared to modern surfboards today. I mean, you as a as a surfer here could really speak to that more than anything. I mean, I imagine it would be ridiculously hard to 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 work with something like that. Oh, with a solid wood board? Yeah. Yes. Oh, it'd be ridiculous. It's like riding a log. Well, they call it, like the bigger boards. They call them logs. You know, as uh, referring back to when you would ride just a humongous piece of wood. Uh, but yeah, it it's. It is uh, hard to maneuver. So the longer the board gets, the harder it is to maneuver. And I would imagine it would be quite quite a feat to uh, get one of those things out there past the waves and ride it back in. I mean, just just to I, I know we're talking about the modern times right now, but just to put the, the put it into context, uh, how big are modern surfboards generally? these days uh well they, they range from like nine feet to 12 feet if you're going to do like a long board but then you've got uh short boards which are about six feet uh five or six feet depending on who's riding them like kids and things like that but now they're all made out of uh essentially foam um mm. and covered in fiberglass resin so very 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 light and you know you can break them very easily sure <laughs> sure step on them the wrong way Dashed whereas back rocks. in you know yeah ancient hawaii the board was far more likely to break you Probably, yes. yeah. Yeah, yeah, and this also explains why, if you look at the the earliest known illustrations and pictures of Hawaiian surfers, they are in incredibly good shape because you have to haul this very heavy piece of wood and then ride it on mm. the waves because um, it's a crazy cardio workout and it's a crazy workout for everything in the upper body. Actually, it's, I think it's probably you'd know better. It's a pretty much a full body workout when you. Yeah, more or less. I think I, I got more of a workout just getting out to the to past the breakers. So it was quite a long process just swimming out past the waves. So yeah, but it is a whole body workout. And I mean, 
you know, uh, a lot of people like when they're writing the shortboards, I found it was interesting because they would, they'll kick, you know, with their feet right. when they're trying to like paddle in uh, to a wave. But yeah, mostly like with the longer boards, you'll sit there and kneel down and you'll scoop the, the water with your hands and uh, paddle out, you know, riding on your knees. But yeah, it's quite a workout. Crazy. And, you know, the, the board itself was extremely important to the ancient Hawaiians. You know, the, the kahuna, right? We've all heard that term before, big kahunas and all that. Mm-hmm. Kahuna literally means expert yep. uh, in the, in the right. ancient Hawaiian tongue. And these experts, these kahunas, would act in many ways like shamans or priests, and they would perform rituals and chants and ceremonies, christening these boards before their, their use by, you know, individuals high up in, in society. Mm-hmm. So this was this was a big thing. I mean, this was a, a deeply rooted part of their culture. And it was borderline it would, their religion. <laughs> you really think well, it. it really was connected to their religion. So yeah. religious festivals and ceremonies mm-hmm. oftentimes kicked off with these these surfing events. Yeah. And it would be hundreds of people out there in the waves. Men and women. Men and women, absolutely. Uh, and you, you did have kind of a hierarchy, right? So you were respecting people's waves, right? You didn't get into the king's wave. That was not considered to be very good for your uh, lifespan. However, uh, you were certainly still mixed among everyone. It was, um, as water is oftentimes a communal thing. So it was, uh, it's it's pretty cool. Yeah. I actually do see this on here um, on the website that I'm looking at that um, Tahitians more specifically did a lot of belly boarding. Yes. And then it was pretty much in Hawaii that we can infer and su- assume whatever that the art of surfing upright was in- was perfected there for sure, if not invented. I would hate myself, though, if I did not at least mention the fact that there is another parallel to this in the world. Yes. And that's in Peru. Oh, yes. And there's been a lot of debate about how surfing evolved in Peru. Yeah. Some people think it was an element of cross-cultural parallel development, which we talk about all the time Thank on the show. Thank you, Eric. Right? Long Equation. Long Goose Equation, bring back to game. episode number one. Uh, but there are also examples where it has been proven that you could get from the Polynesian islands to South America. Mm-hmm. Uh, was it Thor, Henderthal? Hender, Hender? We're really bringing it back to episode one. Yeah, because... I know. And, you know, and if you remember episode one, I got beef with this guy because I really honestly don't believe that the Egyptians made it to South America. But I am willing to believe that uh, the Polynesians very may well have. That's sure. actually a lot more Just because they're closer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, and he did prove that it could be done. And... You know, I know that's a little hypocritical considering he did prove you can get from Africa but to, to your South point, America. If I remember episode one, two, you had made the great point that the Egyptians were not very good ocean sailors. They were that's better right. sailors on the river, whereas the Polynesians were very adept at ocean They had to be. You know, 2000 BC, when they started colonizing, they did it by the ocean. They had no other choice. So there you go. Boom. That was me dropping the mic on Eric's behalf. It really was actually capped my water. Yeah, canteen, I was going to say, but, but we don't enough. actually drop our mics. Um, we like our microphones. So, yes, obviously, we've clearly established that surfing is important to Hawaii. Mm-hmm. But what happens after Cook? What, what, what goes on in Hawaii after all of this? Colonialism. <laughs> that was my response to colonialism. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So basically, white people came in. Started wrecking everything as we do. <laughs> we can say this. We this are four true. white people. We can personally attest to the fact it's, that we're it's, ruining it. It's everything. funny. It's true because as you get there, you have Calvinist missionaries who arrive in Hawaii, yeah. and they they immediately look at surfing and immediately say, "Oh, this is the work of heathens." So, well, yes and no. This is this is actually kind of a controversial topic. So, a lot of people will just say that Calvin the 
Calvinists said, what are you doing? You're out riding waves, you crazy heathens. Yeah, stop doing that. What was more likely the case was that they were really strenuous, like really stressing, sorry, modesty and hard work. And so they were covering people up head to toe. So no more like no more cruising around in loincloths or naked. Uh, No more philandering with, you know, chicks. No more gambling. And just honestly, no more playing around. Right. Like, no, so more, like, like, no more fun yeah. at all. So focus focus on your work, focus on your dedication to God, focus on learning and reading the Bible. And if you're doing that with all all your free time, then you really have no time to serve. Wait, let's back up for a second. So you're telling me we had this culture that was prospering and thriving and yet also having a healthy amount of recreational time. Yeah. And exercise. And, and exercise. And we said no. I feel like this is the plot to Footloose. <laughs> <laughs> Just with surfing. And then Kamehameha Bacon. <laughs> uh, that's Guys. beautiful. That's... Dave, I think I've got an idea for a movie, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Surf Loose. Here we go. Surf Loose. Oh episode title, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Surf Loose. You're listening to the episode <laughs> Surf Loose. Oh my God. That's phenomenal. Uh, in all seriousness, yeah. though, I mean, the, the it was pretty messed up. Yeah, the impact that this had on on Hawaii and the Hawaiian Islands is um, incredibly destructive. Well, and if actually, if you look before the missionaries showed up, um, or right when they showed up, this was after um, you know Cook's men left. By the time that that the Howleys came back, like the population had dwindled down to ten percent of yeah. what it was. When were they, uh, I know the d- two cousins, the Dole cousins. Oh, uh, for Dole for Pineapple? Pineapple, and like they were, there was a bunch of taxes uh, and tariffs on pineapples. and. I think that was in the 1800s. In the 1800s, yeah. okay. a bit later. Yeah. This is well after the population had been completely decimated. Mm. Yeah. And we're talking about maybe, well, it ranges, right? I've read estimates anywhere from like four hundred to 800,000 people living in the Hawaiian Islands uh, at the time of Cook's arrival dwindled down to Sarah's point, you know, 40,000 people. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, needless to say, after Cook, Hawaii was on the map, right? So obviously, Lieutenant King later, or uh, later Captain King, his journals that he published in, in Cook's name uh, drew all this attention to Hawaii. So you had, you know, tourists, you had whalers you had smugglers you had all these people who found hawaii to be a convenient harbor to do god knows what uh, and they brought with them as we were just talking about all this nasty disease so influenza smallpox measles and syphilis syphilis <laughs> yay the i'm just saying it's a choice it's a really really nasty disease it's, it's the it gift melts your brain from the inside out I it's, know. it's the kind gift that keeps on giving i think it's all right <laughs> Thank you, John. That was very insightful. Yeah. I think John may have... S- no, that's actually a terrible thing to say. But uh, <laughs> for that. We're going to publicly shame you on the podcast by saying you have syphilis. Hello, world. John I'm has a syphilis. Dirty sailor. <laughs> <laughs> but at this point, Hawaiian culture was changed forever. Yes. All of these outside influences started shaking things up. Yes. And eventually, even uh, some pretty big social taboos that had existed, like the separation of men and women at the dining table, mm-hmm. uh, were starting to be broken among not just the commoners, but the the very highest of Hawaiian yeah. royalty. And this clearly represented that things would no longer be the same. Right. Yeah. Now, that being said, despite all this huge change, thankfully, surfing did not die Oh, uh, altogether, it just it had dwindled down to a very small few who were yeah. being kind of counterculture, and exactly. uh, 
It was it was quiet for the people who were trying to stick to their Hawaiian roots. Exactly. You were brave enough to be in a loincloth. There was a good chance you were also brave enough to be on a surfboard. And plus, you've got this giant piece of wood that you could, I'm assuming, also use as a weapon. So someone did have really have a problem. (laughs) Be really (laughs) unwieldy. That would be the most inefficient weapon. In human history. Like, you have a problem with me surfing? Okay, do me a favor. Stand over there. <laughs> Wait over five there. minutes. Stand over there. I'm going to come at you with this And board. then he just knocks over the surfboard. Yeah. Now, if I fall off the board, just keep standing there. You'll know when we've accomplished this. You won't no, have I was legs. saying you'd prop it up and then just like... Oh, I'm not going to... Okay. Very, very Wiley Coyote style, just like hoping... That he was at the right angle of attack. So but it has, to bounce, it has to bounce off of their head and then slowly embed yeah, them into the sand. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was great. <laughs> I want a rake to be there, too. <laughs> this is some, some very clear visuals that we're, we're painting here. <laughs> yeah, and again, to throw some dates out, 1896 was the time by which that population had almost completely right. been decimated. So okay. just to put it into context from Cook's arrival yep. to the time of um, the near disappearance mm-hmm. of the Hawaiian people as as a people and as a culture. Yeah, we're talking right. about, about 120 years between the two, yeah. Freaking Howleys. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> so thankfully, there was hope nonetheless. So as we get into the mid-19th century, you have... Uh, was the reverend's name Herman T. Henry T. Cheever. Henry T. Cheever, who uh, observes surfing in its natural form. And he kind of decides to pull back a little bit on the religious restrictions. Yeah. he, I, he So he wrote a book called uh, Life in the Hawaiian Islands, The Heart of the Pacific as it was and is. Um, and he kind of found surfing to be really amusing to him and so he was really kind of pushing that people should kind of continue doing it because it's honestly it's a really good form of exercise yeah. it's healthy and people were having fun it's a little bit dangerous like a you... little bit dangerous uh yeah at this point it wasn't not so much in the big big wave surfing so this was still right fairly reasonable <laughs> right um but yeah so that's you know it's starting to be written about Stories are making its way across the world, specifically about surfing now. But there's a particularly noted author. Oh, yeah. Yes. Who makes some pretty funny anecdotes about it. And uh, no stranger to our podcast, Mr. Mark Twain. Samuel Clemens himself. Yes, he did. He, he His anecdote about surfing is uh, priceless. I think we should read it. Yeah. From his 1866 book, Roughing It. I tried surf bathing once, subsequently, but made a failure of it. I got the board placed right and at the right moment, too, but missed the connection myself. The board struck the shore in three quarters of a second without any cargo, and I struck the bottom about the same time with a couple of barrels of water in me. <laughs> I've been there before. <laughs> Such an eloquent way of saying he went... <laughs> he, he ate shit? Oh, there's one! There's Sarah's. Actually, Brian had one earlier, too. More, more importantly, he ate water, actually, but yeah. yes. Yes, the metaphor still stands. Yep. Um... So, yeah, and, you know, Mark Twain, obviously a well-known writer in his day, had a, certainly had a way with words. Um, having him comment on the culture of surfing is just awesome. Um, but more so, another Bay Area uh, person, um, Jack London, uh, as we get toward the turn of the century, mm-hmm. went there with his wife. And he actually had a bigger hand at bringing it more to the United States, I think, than um, than Twain did. Twain brought it through literature, but... Yeah. London actually tried to get the culture to California. Right. Well, and he specifically, at this point, he had already been successful with um, three novels called right, Wild, he, right. The Sea Wolf, and White Fang. And so he decided that, you know, he actually 
would regularly go vacation in Hawaii just so he could participate in surfing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but before we jump into Jack London bringing it to the West Coast officially, there were actually some precursors to this. Absolutely. Eric? Uh, one right nearby, of course, in the very famous Santa Cruz, California. What up? Uh, it's just a, a short uh, drive. If you get on to the 17... Take uh, 17, 17, hop the hill. Hop the hill over, yeah. And then you take it to the one. <laughs> <laughs> you drive on down the coast. And then you get off an Ocean Avenue. <laughs> uh, we're talking about 1885 and three Hawaiian princes uh, who were visiting Santa Cruz, California from, from a military academy that they were staying at in uh, San Mateo. And uh, the, the, you know, the word is that they were taking their boards out and mm-hmm. doing a little bit of surfing wow. and co- totally like, Blew the blowing minds the minds of, of, everybody, out of there. everybody. And using local redwood, uh, Sequoia Redwood, to have constructed their boards here while they're here in the States, which I think is pretty cool. That's pretty cool. That's super cool. I also want to call it, these are very brave men because at this point... Uh, going from San Mateo to the Santa Cruz Mountains at this point in California history, before we'd had the kind of roads we have now, was not an easy no feat. not an easy feat. Also, the water temperature. Yeah, br- yeah. exactly. Wetsuits did not <laughs> no. exist at this point. And hey, for those of you who do not live in California, the Pacific Ocean's kind of chilly on this this part of it. On this coast yeah, of it, yeah, coast, for sure. Yeah. It's much more warmer in Hawaii. Well, yeah. much warmer in Hawaii, warmer in Mexico, you know, all that, but definitely like along the California coastline, it's it's a touch nipply. Pretty uh, to look at. <laughs> Uh, not so fun uh, getting into. No, I usually... I think meant nippy, but I'm sure their nipples no, were, were, no, no, were very I, firm. I, I, say, I say nipply. <laughs> I say nipply. Okay. No, I, I do my thing. And we are descending. <laughs> when I go when I go to the beach, I walk out to about my knees just so I'm numb enough. And then I walk out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I went into the water in Santa Cruz once at the beach in just a regular swimming suit. And uh, yeah. I was like, no, I'm that good. I'm good. It. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, I've seen some people jump in off the rocks, but then they quickly swim back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's usually going to be like really, really hot. And they're day. pretty drunk. And they're, and they're pretty drunk. So I've been waiting for the right moment. I do have to tell this story. Okay. okay. I have a story. I don't mean to derail us, but I do no, mean to derail fine. us. No, we got plenty of time. Uh, so I went to the beach with a buddy a couple of years ago. I, you know, I don't go to the beach very often. My father was the type who said, you know, don't go to the beach. The beach will cause you to have sun cancer and you'll drown in the ocean and possibly be eaten by a shark. I don't know why my father is <laughs> British, but that was all of a sudden became Ian McKellen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that that was pretty you much the conversation. You should have when you had the chance. <laughs> <laughs> you shall not swim. <laughs> That was pretty much how that conversation went. We get the sand in there. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, But uh, but I I, of course uh, deciding to defy my father even in my in my late twenties said you know what I don't care I'm going out and I was like I've never boogie boarded before so I'm going to boogie board and my buddy's like all right let's do it I don't really know how to boogie board very much either but I can get some boogie boards and I borrowed one from my sister and he borrowed one from some friend of his or whatever right and we went out there and it was so cool. And then we got a little better. So we're like, let's go out a little further and we'll catch a bigger wave and we're going to be awesome and Californian and it's going to be so cool. And then and then the shore was not near and <laughs> I was being pulled out in a riptide. Oh, no. Oh, shit. Oh, the riptide. Sorry. Uh, that was it. Hey, we used our third. Um, I don't know how to swim very well mm. at 
all. You should not have been out there, period. I totally should not have been out there. It was an absolutely, completely and totally stupid idea. And we're being pulled out, and I'm trying to hold on to this board, borderline panic attack, like kicking my legs out from underneath me as hard as I possibly can. And, of course, not being an avid swimmer and not realizing this until I got in the shore and, and Googled it, uh, I'm supposed to swim like diagonally. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just yeah. like, yeah, I'll get there. Oh my God, I'm going to die and leave my wife with, at that time, two children uh, and no father. Oh, and um, I just, at one point, the board slipped out from underneath me. Uh-oh. And my head went under the water. And I grabbed the board and by just some small miracle, I actually grabbed hold of it and was able to pull myself up onto the board and at that point i was convinced i was completely convinced i was going to die oh my god there were no lifeguards where we were at mm. zero and slowly i just I, I almost gave up and i was holding on to it and then i realized that i was slowly slowly getting closer to the shore because i guess i had finally gotten myself from the panic that i was in into this kind of diagonal state <sighs> And I realized at that point, okay, I was finally making some progress. And my buddy was almost in as bad a situation as I was. I mean, we were looking at each other like, this is going to be very bad. I thought you were going to um, say a mermaid came out of the I know. I was like, saved you. I want to like hear some touched by an angel stuff. <laughs> uh, no, no. Um, but I finally made it to shore. And we just, we sat there for like, I don't even know how long. It was probably like 20 minutes. And we just looked at each other. And we just hit each other. <laughs> you hit each other? I punched him on the arm. Spot. And he <laughs> almost died. And he punched me back. And we were like, we totally deserved that. That was the stupidest thing we have ever done. And we got up and we were shaking. Yeah. We were. I mean, this is already 20 minutes. And then we like washed off. And then we just uh, like sat there for like probably another 20 minutes and decided to leave. So that was my experience with surfing. Um, then you had some tacos, right? Because that's like. Well, yeah. Duh. <laughs> Duh. Duh. When you almost die in the ocean, you have to have tacos. Get some um, tacos. So yeah, I wanted to share that on the on the show, and uh, oh man. And hey, you know what? Take that as a warning. Um, Please do. Because I mean, we'll we'll get back into the historical context again in a second. But no joke, surf. If you're not a strong swimmer, you really got to be careful and get to be a strong swimmer before you decide to do this because. Uh, surfing can be really, really dangerous, and the ocean can be really, really dangerous. And I'm sure, John, you've got probably lots of good advice on how not to get killed, but... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I like to consider myself to be a rather, you know, not stupid person. I yeah. consider myself moderately intelligent, right? Okay, I host a history podcast, so I must have some sort of intelligence. But you can still make really bad choices. Yep. So please make good choices and don't die. Yep. We are, at the end of the day, still human. Yes. yes. Okay, that's our PSA. Let's get back into this. Okay, so now that we're at the beginning of the 20th century, we have two people, really, that we want to talk Three, about. Three, really. Three people yeah. for promoting surfing culture in the United States. Uh, we've got, again, we talked about the famed author, Jack London, who, mm -hmm. after writing his three books about being in the wilderness, wanted to try to stand at surfing. Uh, and then we also have... Uh, a, we have Irish. Al well, Alexander Hume Ford. Yes. Um, and he was um, somebody who had just traveled out to Waikiki. He was pretty much just a, a journalist and a wanderer. And um, he was the one who actually took Jack London surfing. Um, and so they kind of were forming a friendship there. And then the two of them met a 23-year-old Irish Hawaiian named George Freeth. Right. And this guy was like 
one of the more celebrated surfers at the time in Waikiki. Right. Um, and so he, they all kind of shared this like kind of cool love of surfing and um, they all became friends and decided, well, let's just go ahead and start spreading the word. Um, so London was writing about it. Um, Alexander Hume Ford was writing about it. And Freak kind of, was doing it. <laughs> yeah. And all the buzz basically got uh, Freeth an invitation to surf at the um, Redondo LA Railway opening in Southern California. And so. Which he, makes perfect sense. Sure. Because uh, railways and surfing. Go ahead. Because why not? Yeah. Why not? It's a coastal railway. (laughs) (laughs) And so he goes out there and he does a surfing demonstration for everybody, becomes wildly popular and accepts the title, even though it's not true. He accepts the title of the first man to surf in California. Didn't Freeth, one of these guys, Freeth, I think, was also one of the people, or maybe John, you'll be able to tell. At this point, we're getting pretty close to fins being affixed to surfboards, too. Because before this, these were just planks of wood. Yeah, more or less. Yeah. Uh, which, if you think about it, is crazy compared to what, what surfboards are designed like now, which you talked about a little bit earlier. Um, but it's around this time that they started to put fins in it, right? Well, in the 1940s and 50s, they started experimenting more with them, like okay. the placement and things like that. But either way, this was just kind of creating this whole buzz. Plus, there's already a lot of interest, again, kind of based on, you know, Cook and that kind of thing. There's been now a really well-established interest in Polynesian culture in general. Yes. Tiki bars. Tiki bars. Tiki bars. Finally, tiki bars. tiki bars. Yeah, yeah. Can the listeners hear my head shaking? Which... To be totally fair, they emerged in really in in Los Angeles and really do have very little, if nothing to do with with surf culture. Um, only by this mere tangential connection to the fact that there was a common interest in Polynesian culture. Well, while we're in this time frame, I know our Australian listeners would be super angry if I did not mention the fact that you know, oh. obviously, surfing was introduced into Australia. It has become a huge thing. It's oh, absolutely, a very very big thing in Australia. Uh, and we, we do that in thanks to Tommy Walker, uh, who brought with him a 10-foot surfboard that he bought at Waikiki Beach uh, for two bucks. Nice. Wow. Uh, yep, whole $2. That's awesome. And he spent the next couple of years actually becoming kind of an expert in surfing. He he was taught and, you know, ran with it, was extremely proficient and started doing, you know, shows and expedition, um, exhibitions at Sydney, in Sydney, Sydney Bay. Uh, and that just kind of exploded, and then it became wow. uh, a huge thing in Australia. Yeah, and keep in mind, two dollars at this point was probably closer to two hundred dollars, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Mm, I'm not sure what. I mean, obviously, I it would no be idea. different because it's outside of the United States. I don't think yeah. it'd be quite that high, but certainly it was. It wasn't cheap. It was still a pretty decent amount of money. Yeah. Now, before we get too much further, I want to talk about what was going on around 1912. Um, because there was a very important man named Duke. Oh, yes. Who decided to also help the cause here. So Duke Paola? I don't even know how to pronounce that. I'm not even going to try. His name's Duke. <laughs> um, but he was a really famous surfer and swimmer. Um, and he actually was the guy who developed the flutter kick to replace the scissor kick in freestyle swimming. Um, and he was wow. wildly popular in Hawaii as a surfer, um, pretty much one of the best that you can that you could have found in Hawaii at the time. Yeah, didn't he? He won a lot of medals too. Yeah, like I mean Olympic the, the, medals. Yeah, he's a he's a legend. Um, and in 1912, he actually was passing through Southern California to go to the Summer Olympics in Stockholm, and he did um, surfing demonstrations at Corona del Mar and Santa Monica. Um, 
and that blew Freeth's demonstrations out of the water and created this huge fervor. Um, and then, yeah, he he ended up winning a medal, which then you know just furthered his popularity. And he was considered one of the fastest swimmers alive. <laughs> and wow. yeah, and he was basically the Michael Phelps of his time, except he also surfed. And he was really crazy good at it. So it was, uh, and this, he was popular around the world. And he still to this day is listed as one of the best surfers of all time. Just because it's going to bug me, mm-hmm. and I know we'll get listener feedback and we don't address it right now. Mm-hmm. I, I went to the, the uh, inflation calculator real quick. Oh, God. Uh, it was $2.19, at least in the United States. It was equivalent to 50 bucks. Okay. So yeah. still, great. that's expensive, I guess. I don't know. Anyhow. Just want to throw it out there, fifty bucks. Maybe and not. Maybe not. You, you can't get a surfboard f- for fifty bucks now. Yeah. Maybe so used, actually, it was kind yeah, of a waterlogged deal. one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not a good one. Not a good one. Yeah. So anyway, uh, so then the 1920s, um, just mostly because of Duke and Freeth and all these other people, everybody decided that they wanted to, you know, start trying to surf. But then a little thing called World War Two happened. Um, you mean World War One? Or well, I'm I'm jumping ahead now. Okay. I'm saying in the 1912 was yeah. okay. <laughs> no, I said in the 1920s it started. Then that's okay. when popularity started to go. And then, come World War Two, uh, things dwindled a little bit, at least in the state side, because you know our boys were off fighting. Yes. <laughs> um, and while there were some women surfing, it wasn't that it wasn't that much. Right. Um, so you really don't see interest come back in the United States, at least the continental United States, until... Like 1960s, 1950s. 1950s well, post-statehood of Hawaii. And yeah. post-World War II, right. don't forget that we had a lot of boys stationed in Hawaii yeah. and yeah. in the Pacific. My grandfather was one of them. Yeah. He was stationed there during the Korean conflict. And he was a surfer. I don't know if he was a very good one, but he was a surfer. That was his pastime um, when he wasn't doing stuff for the Navy. So it's... um. I mean, yeah, it had certainly started to gain American attention again Yeah, in the post-World War II climate. So yeah. he wasn't quite, you know, Mark Twain-ish, but maybe closer to John Thomas-ish. Sure. Yeah. Thomas Thomas-on. Thomas-on-ish. Thomas-on-ish. Um, but I will also say that it was in the 1930s that when um, there were some people who started experimenting with photography while surfing. Ooh. So this exciting. is like the proto-GoPro we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, kind of. It's a big thing now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, John, obviously you've been on a board in more recent times. You did not grow up in the 1940s or 50s or before that. But you Unless do you're have, a time lord. Which is, would be awesome. Uh, but you do obviously have a little bit more insight in surfing from this point forward. So I think if it's cool with you guys, I just yep. kind of want to kick it over to John. Do okay. it. Sounds good. Uh, yeah, I'm, not, I'm not, by no means an expert. I'm just, I, I enjoy this sport. So, uh, but I did a little research and, uh, you know, looking at it in the 1940s and 50s, um, one guy in particular, Joe Quigg, uh, a Honolulu-based boat builder, started experimenting with adding fins and uh, playing around with balsa wood and styrofoam between plywood and fiberglass uh, to make boards that were really lightweight and uh, still very sturdy and strong, uh, which really actually, something that I didn't think about, opened the sport up to uh, a younger audience that might not have been as strong and, you know, hmm. as men, like, that are, you know, Buff, crazy, very big, swimmers, sure, some, like, sure. super strong yeah. guys. Uh, and women. So, uh, not to say that there weren't amazing women out there who were surfing before this, mm-hmm. but uh, it just allowed that to open up um, and, and create, I don't know, more equal playing field. So, that was pretty interesting. Um, 
And it also allowed for more interesting maneuvers to take place. So, you know, when you had those big long boards, people were basically just riding the wave. So I've watched some like older uh, surf documentaries and I don't know, it was just kind of interesting. People would get on their long boards and just the fact that they were out there riding the waves, you know, that was, that, that was, was enough. The, that was that enough. Was sufficient. Right. right. So it was just kind of like, you know, we're right here with the bros, you know, <laughs> <surfing> <laughs> these waves. Like, and it was cool. It was laid back and interesting and, and, you know, they would hang tin and all that stuff. But when you started opening up to these lighter boards, uh, I think uh, people that were already good, you know, people that were already pushing boundaries, uh, they just gave them more to work with and, mm-hmm. you know, more of a challenge. And then also people could start out uh, for a bit cheaper. Um, but, you know, I want to I want to bring something to to the light that Sarah actually said before we were recording yeah. this, because you had mentioned that the the amount of surf related uh, fatalities has skyrocketed recently. So recently. in the in the past fifteen years, there have been more surfing related deaths than there have in the past or the the previous four decades. And I would say, yeah, that's for I'm guessing that's from people starting to take on the challenges of uh, yeah. like big wave surfing. Yes. So I mean, as the something that's very interesting is the stakes. You know, stakes become higher and higher. You know, where are you going to push this sport into the future? And uh, also the number of like prime surfing spots. You know, it's it's a natural occurring thing. So uh, there's very highly protected surfing areas, and so people will stretch themselves out and kind of discover mm-hmm. new areas that may be more dangerous to get to. Uh, have more you know rocks or obstacles that could be dangerous and then you've got big wave surfing which is a totally different animal which could you know i mean ultimately hold you underwater till you die well and Uh, there's also there's also the uh there's a competition there's a an international annual competition of for um getting a picture of yourself on the biggest wave and there's money writing on it. So people will do people do stupid stuff for money all the time. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. We we, we so, see with examples like myself, people do stupid stuff for, for free. any reason for free, <laughs> for free as well. Yeah. And a picture. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, that's probably well, that brings me into uh surfing competitions actually. Okay. So it started to get really competitive actually around um the 1960s. Well, let's see. Well, late 1960s, uh, you had some competitive surfing. Um, so the affordable boards, you know, help people mm-hmm. bolster the sport. And then you get into prizes ranging from like $1,000 to $3,000 yeah. um, for top And also top pointing places. out that, you know, by the late 1960s, this sport is ridiculously popular thanks to pop culture. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, like Hawaii is a state now. So the whole Polynesian culture thing is just totally invested in I have to mention it, and Sean would kill me if I didn't mention it. Third season of Batman. (laughs) Batman and Robin and Batgirl. There's a surfing surfing episode. There's There's a surfing surfing With the Joker. Batman is literally surfing with the the Joker. It's ridiculous. And (laughs) Batman's, and they're all wearing surfing shorts on top of their costumes. Mm -hmm. It's hilarious. And let's not forget the greatest Brady Bunch episode of all time. Yep. Of all time. Yep. They go to Hawaii, yes, there's surfing, there's luau's, yep. there's lays, there's all sorts of crazy. You know, I just want to point out uh, the Surf's Up Batman that's on oh the top my. shelf of our That's amazing. Our can we use, is there box. any way that we can use that uh, as, the as the cover for our episode? Uh, we'll probably find a promo image yeah. of it. Okay, cool. It. We need um, to do that. But also, you know, the Beach Boys. Of course. We're totally selling the surfer sound. Um, and the surfer theme and all the music, granted, it was much more of like a Hollywood or not like a Hollywood, but like L.A., Southern California sense. Um, 
and that was actually my dad grew up in Southern California in the '60s, so I listened to the Beach Boys growing up more than I listened to the Beatles. Wow. Like that's that's how impactful it was. And you could actually <laughs> argue that the Beach Boys were influencing the Beatles. Vice versa, all the way around. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Pe- like harmonies. Pet Sounds versus, you know, Abbey Road and White Album, all that stuff. Like, they were yeah. absolutely influencing each other. Brian Wilson's kind of a bizarro genius. Um, and don't forget the, the totally weird dynamic that the 1950s and 1960s held in contrast mm-hmm. to, each, to each other. Because in the 1950s, coming out of World War II, there was this desire for normalcy, right? So everything yeah. stayed very white-laced, very, very... That was the birth of the modern American dream. Yeah. yeah. But then it changed so abruptly in the 1960s when we rebelled it, against that. We went that. to chaos, yeah. We went to chaos. We went to war. We went to all these. We went to the, we went to the moon. But uh, we also went to bikinis. And uh, we started showing <laughs> oh, these God. things like, right? like men and women not wearing Bare a whole lot of clothing yeah. in the movies. And where they often on the beach mm-hmm. doing this, right? And near surfboards. Yeah. Well, and then in the movies, God, you have like Elvis's Blue Hawaii. You have Gidget. You have Beach Blanket Bingo and all of those movies. And Short Circuit. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, yes. That iconic 80s. surfing scene. <laughs> the robot. Record scratch. Wait, doesn't he go surfing in that? Never mind. Anyway. <laughs> um, but there's also this whole development of the idea of the surfer beach bum and kind of like the hippie surfers and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. actually the hipster surfers now too. Yes. Oh yes. They are. Um, We're not getting into them. <laughs> I'm just going to say that a Mai Tai is an abomination when it comes to tiki bars. Oh my God. And I have to say that these horn rim glasses uh, being held on by this especially fixed and uh, particularly waterproof band. Oh my God. Is uh, very exclusive. Right. Anyway, Thank Uh, you, Alan. But there was actually, there was, it's pretty interesting. I just kind of read this anecdote that I just want to throw out there and I'll send it back to you. Um, But there was, like, during this time, you know, obviously drug influence and all this stuff going on, um, there was actually a pretty large drug ring going on of oh, bringing yeah. in millions of doses of LSD into <laughs> into the US. I'm sorry, it's not funny, but it just... But no, it's crazy. But no, it is funny because LSD and water do not mix. Right. And it seems so stupid to it, transport But it they that were way. still but where there's a will, there's a way. Yeah. Um and so there was actually this international global drug ring involving surfing. And honestly it's really it's people are going out and traveling to competitions, tra- traveling to places where there's big waves, that kind of thing. And they're taking drugs across country lines by doing this. And it was going on for so long because the FBI didn't want to investigate people that they didn't think were even capable of doing it. They were like, oh, these these surfer hippies, they can't wow. do it. They just thought they were so dumb that like, they didn't take them seriously. And that sounds like why it sounds like it's such a crazy thing. But yeah, surfer drug mules go crazy. Yep. So, wait, so are they are they using surfboards to transport the drugs? Or I, I don't, don't think know. So. I, don't. I think surfer drug mule evokes enough imagination for right. you to do the rest of your... Yeah. So, so in they're your MVW buses, right? <laughs> they're, they're not actually on the, on the waves paddling with bunch of lsd likely not okay because yeah. i can imagine that you know i don't know uh just how much lsd dilutes in water but if you were to accidentally drop your package near a beach full of you know families and all of a sudden the water makes the sharks go crazy yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. Like, mommy, there's a purple shark in the ocean <laughs> <laughs> mommy, mommy there's a caterpillar surfing <laughs> 
Wow. <laughs> anyway, so let's talk about surfing competition some more. Oh, yeah. Okay, so in 1971, <laughs> the Pipeline Masters uh, were, yeah. were, were held. Uh, it's one of the most prestigious pro tournaments, um, and it's the last of three events that make up the Triple Crown of Surfing. Uh, and this is an event, or uh, three events, uh, that... Uh, well, 42 of the world's top surfers are invited to, and they're all staged at the North Shore of Oahu, which is famous for its uh, winter swell. So mm. it happens like clockwork every year and wow. can be up to 50 feet. Whoa. Whoa! Yeah. So great place to hold a surf competition. Yeah, if definitely. You know it's coming. Jesus. Uh, so definitely, I would never, I would not be going there. Um, oh, come on, John. I, no, I would go there when I want to die. Like their, I, who like breathing would yeah, not want to go there. You'll be basically. just fine. Ladies I think it would be great to watch. It would be amazing uh, to John watch. John will be on location uh, for Nerdonomy. Yeah, next, next time. Uh, he'll be recording from the board itself. Want to see how long I can hold my breath? Wow. You know what? I think it'll be unique for the very first uh, person to ever drown uh, on a pod, on a podcast. Oh. I'm looking forward to it. So we, we appreciate your sacrifice. Thank you. For that you are very welcome. I can't wait. I can't wait. Making history. <laughs> yeah, so you got uh, ooh. I mean, those are. I mean, obviously, some great people have emerged from those competitions. Kelly Slater being one of those. Um, Wait, Kelly ended up with AC. Yes, <laughs> yes, he did. Yes, he did. You know, he was actually on Baywatch. <laughs> <laughs> what, Kelly Slater? Yeah. So I, I read this. So wow. uh, he was in an episode of Baywatch. I don't know if it was just one episode or a few. But Please just be one. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to check it out. I Any mean, episode of Baywatch just deserves one guest appearance. You don't need multiple. What are you talking about? That That is absolutely... You should go to all of the episodes of Baywatch. <laughs> so, wait. Do we actually... When when did surfing start using, you know, like the, the tethers, like the ankle tethers and stuff like that and, and wetsuits? Do we know when that... Uh, wetsuits, I believe, actually in the 1960s. Okay. Um, 60s or 70s, because I, yeah, definitely. That would have been yeah. about the time the technology was starting to be introduced. They That's were very, figured, yeah. like, people didn't like wearing them, like, you know, so they would wear, like, just the bottoms or, sure. you know, whatever they needed, because they were yeah. very, very restricting. Those things are hard to get on and off. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, but they're also like... great for wintertime solar eclipses, I just have to oh, say. Oh, okay. That's a, that's a story for another podcast. All right. Wow. Great. Uh, let's see. Oh, I was going to say, um, little fun facts about, uh, Kelly Slater. Yeah. Okay. So he was, he was, uh, took on the role of Jimmy Slade on Baywatch <laughs> and that rocketed him, <laughs> rocketed him into star status. Oh my uh, God. And, uh, it was able to bring surfing to the masses. Well, I mean, anytime when you're hanging out with the Hoff, like... <laughs> Absolutely, that does it. That's all. It, that's all you need to say. Sean, can we have a few seconds of Baywatch uh, music, please, thrown in? Just a few seconds. We don't get sued. All right, thank you. Great. I, I just, I'm just saying, you've got to reach out. Take hold of my hand. You've got to reach out till you're safe on dry land. Did the Hoff actually sing the? He did. He, he did, sang the closing. Yeah. He, yeah, he sang the closing one, not the opening thing. Right, right. Because right. the opening thing was totally like '80s hairband rock sounding. Yeah. Another fun fact. I just like fun facts. We, uh, we do too. That's why we do a podcast. The uh, <laughs> uh, Surfer Magazine called him the greatest surfer of all time, which you know is debatable. Uh, the U.S. House of Representatives passed a bipartisan resolution honoring. Uh, his competitive achievements, and one of his surfboards is in the National Museum of American History at wow. the Smithsonian. That's, That's pretty cool. cool. That, that is awesome. awesome. 
I do actually real quick, one last thing about legislation. Um, I do want to point out that um, the passing of Title IX, the Education Amendment in 1972, which actually kind of opened up a college level playing, a better college level playing field for women. Um, it was actually sponsored by a Hawaiian congresswoman, um, Patsy Mink, but there was a huge rise in female surfers immediately after that because uh, women were starting to do more um, in the way of collegiate athletics, including swimming, which then led into surfing, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, and now there's like a huge, there's a huge amount of, of female surfers and amazing ones. Like, oh my God, what the hell is the name of that girl? Who had her arms bitten off by sharks, and she still she still. I think it was just one the one arm. Was it just the one arm? Yeah, can't remember her name either. But they made a movie about it with Helen yeah. Hunt. Is actually make bring this full circle. It was shown at the uh, Cinequest Film Festival here in San Jose. I believe How it was. Uh, Are we getting paid? Bethany for this? Hamilton. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Yes. I was just trying, just trying to stall a little bit so Sarah could Google it. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, perfect. Well, folks, uh, <laughs> this has been fun. This was fun. You know, I, I think that surfing is continuing to make history every single day, right? So obviously this is a, a continuing and evolving culture. Uh, there's a lot of surf documentaries, a lot of surf films in general that have oh, been yeah. made. And, and particularly in the 2000s, there have just been tons of them. Ever since, you know, cameras like GoPros and things like that that mm -hmm. are easily affordable but still really great resolution and can oh, be, yeah. you know, strapped to the edge of a board or smacked onto your head or wherever you carry these things on your person. But they, uh, they've opened up a whole new way of experiencing surfing. So if you don't know much about it, perhaps they do not have surfing where you are from. Maybe you are in a landlocked country with no, you know, lakes. Uh, I don't know. You're maybe from, like, Lithuania. Uh, I'm just saying, go and explore surfing a little bit on your own. There's a lot of neat ways that you can do that through multimedia. And I think surfing should be an Olympic sport. Let's get that campaign going. Okay. How would we <laughs> control that? I mean... Uh I don't know. Let's petition you know the International a... Olympic Committee. I don't know how you do that, but... I was going to say they're building a big indoor, uh, unless it's well, like an Onion article. Uh, they're, they're building, <laughs> I, I could be making this I up. I could be making this up, just full disclosure. <laughs> but I, I read that they're making, I think it was somewhere, uh, I want to say Europe, somewhere in Europe. They're making a huge indoor wave pool for some sort of similar purpose really maybe it's yeah. in lithuania maybe it's in lithuania maybe <laughs> well it's in let's lithuania. hope because i think wait wait i think i i just i i was like this must be a real thing because i just googled it sacramento's first indoor surfing is the name of this article you talk I'll no, read no 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 there, there was like yeah. a, it's like a huge indoor stadium regardless of whether yeah. this is i mean i think eric may have just found the real life connection to this i mean clearly there is enough athleticism involved in the sport of surfing that it it demands that kind of World yeah. exposure, especially since you've got multiple countries, you easily could have America, you could easily have Australia and several other countries contributing to this sport. So, it, I don't know. I think well, it should, it'd be interesting. Apparently, there's these indoor surf places where it's more like you're just like you're on the board, but the water is rushing by you really fast. Just so like there's infinity pools for surfing. Yeah, I mean, essentially, that's the same. That that's exactly it. There's there's not. I'm trying to find something that like actually recreates waves, but I don't know if that exists. How cool would it be like indoor surfing? Then they actually have like they go to like a look a location. This oh, can... of course you can't look because you're listeners on a podcast. But uh, what I'm showing my <laughs> colleagues in the room here is right. uh, surf pools, which look like they generate small. Right. They have those on yeah, it looks like the wave now. looks like a wave pool. at, you know. See, I, as Maybe you all waters. should know by now, after listening to this podcast, I clearly want to stay away from. Oh water. yeah, yeah. Uh, so I don't know these things yeah. exist, but I'm I'm now educated. Great. Yes, 
clearly a fascinating topic. We, there's so much we didn't get, have time to talk about other key surfers out there. Uh, lots of great films that have been documentaries have been made about surfing and the yep. summer being just one of them. Mm-hmm. So folks, you know, please forgive us if we couldn't fit all of it in, but uh, there you have it. And John, thank you for being here and contributing. Well, thank you for having that. Me. Um, things have been a little light on the feedback train lately, but we do have one. What the we heck, wanted, guys? I know, but we do have one we wanted to share. So Sean, this week in listener feedback. Okay. So uh, this piece of feedback comes from Laura. Um, says, hello, nerds on history. I started listening to you guys some time ago and listened to at least one episode a day. I'm listening in no order and choose whatever topic I feel like. So it is just awesome. You guys really make my day. I already forced all of my history interested friends to listen to you. And some of them are now <laughs> listening to you as well. Oh, good. Uh, so I'm writing because I just listened to your That's a Law episode. Yeah. Yes, I know that was ages ago, but I still think there are some things you may be interested in. First of all, no, there isn't a toilet police in Switzerland. <laughs> And nobody is controlling if we flush after 10 p.m. Anyhow, Thank God. Government money not being wasted. Anyhow, as I have lived in an old house for quite a time while studying, I can assure you there are houses where it is quite annoying if you hear a toilet flushing in the middle of the night. Still, we went when we had to. However, showering is more a topic. I, I never have showered after 10 p.m. because of the noise. Okay, that was just a side note. I decided to write because of another Swiss-related thing you guys said. First of all, we have four national languages, not three. German, Italian, French, and Romanche, which is a Latin language only spoken by a minority. And our German... So you have three. That's a joke. That's a joke. (laughs) And our German isn't the same as is spoken in Germany. We call it Swiss German. Right. Uh, Swiss German consists of mainly... Of many different dialects and is hard to understand for people who aren't from Switzerland. Uh, they're quite often Germans who come to Switzerland who are surprised they don't understand a word. It often has a lot of holes in it, I understand. Not unlike the cheese. Anyway, <sighs> uh, the same about the same <laughs> Sorry, about the gosh. culture of Switzerland. You could say we are to Germany what Canada is to the U.S. Sure. All right. Sorry, the mail is starting to get really long. That's okay. It's very interesting. And we don't have anything else to talk about. Uh, I've been to the U.S. two times. Uh, the first time I did an internship at a middle school. Really happy. I'm in, I'm a high school teacher in Switzerland and not the U.S. Uh, there were so many wonderful misconceptions about Switzerland. And I was wondering if you guys wouldn't like to do an episode about Switzerland. It's an extremely interesting country. One of the earliest democracies and one of the only direct democracies existing today. It's a, got a very rich history, too. Can I, can I address this? Because mm-hmm. I, I, I was, of course, being a little cheeky and, and joking and that yeah. was all and good fun i think that's an amazing idea i yeah. would love to do an episode on switzerland um i have a friend who might be willing to come on to talk about it but uh she's visited the united states you said twice mm-hmm. i'm gonna do something never before done in nerds on history history i'm not done reading this yet okay well then <laughs> you finish reading and then i'll do what's never been done on okay nerds on history because you might change your mind i don't know <laughs> i don't think so but go ahead okay keep reading um even if you don't feel like uh, feel like it, there's one misconception that really shocked me when I was in the U.S. It said that our criminal rates are so low because everyone in Switzerland has a firearm. I heard that one. Re- I hear that one really often, and it seems the NRA is using that as an argument why everyone should have a firearm. I think it's Sweden. I don't think it's Switzerland. No, she's, it's Switzerland. It's Switzerland. Okay. Uh, she says so. Yes, a lot of people have a military rifle at home, as every man has to go into the military, but no one is allowed to keep any ammunition. So if there's an <laughs> that's a Chris Rock joke, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It's it absolutely uh, also is. Also, Eddie Izzard joke. Yes. Yeah. 
So if there is an intruder in my house, I can assure you, I would not go down to the basement and get my brother's rifle because the thief would most likely just laugh at me. (laughs) (laughs) So apart from that useless military rifle, almost no one has a gun. So our criminal rates are so low because of our social system. Another interesting thing one could talk about in a podcast. Yes, indeed. There are, of course, some wonderful dark chapters about Switzerland. Uh, Skipping, skipping, skipping. Uh, Okay, I try to get get to the end. Um, The important thing, you are awesome. Go on doing what you do. Donation to you is planned. I'm working as a substitute teacher at the moment, but just got a job offering for the next school year, so there will be money soon. Nice. And I just started listening to Nerds on Film because of Sarah Ashley's great humor and wonderful voice so you may receive another unreasonably long email soon oh thanks i wonder th- why sarah wanted to get to the end of thanks this, uh, for email your great here. podcast yeah. and thank you laura <laughs> can, can i can i can i do yes it? yes now can you can never before done on nerds on history history. history uh laura i am so impressed with your feedback i enjoy your wit and enthusiasm i am going to offer the next time you're in the united states if you so happen to be in san jose california i want you to come on the show we have offered guest spots to people on the show all the time. What are you talking but about? never on, on from, Nerds on Film, but never on Nerds on History. Oh. And and never from Switzerland. Okay. So that, that's a, that's a first-ish. There yeah. you go. We, only, we do only have one more piece of feedback. It's more of a comment. Mm-hmm. It's from our good friend, Athena. Yeah. She posted it to our Facebook page, which says that asteroids are the shape of a potato. Common shape, as we all know, N-O-H. She quoted that. Um <laughs> I saw this and remind, it reminded me of one of the space episodes. I'll never look at a potato the same. And it's a little picture of a minion mm. from the Despicable Me films. Uh, and it says, I'm in shape. Unfortunately, that shape is a potato. And it's, <laughs> and it's this two-eyed minion just looking kind of grimacing Very at the camera. Very cute. And it's, it's adorable. And Athena, you are adorable. So thank you for Thank you, Laura. Thank us. you, Athena. We really appreciate the feedback, guys. Indeed. And one uh, last thing. What? What also is the shape of potatoes and in space? Uh, Nepal. Uh, well, it's a yam. No, it's a yam. It's a yam between two uh, boulders. Uh, a couple of Pluto's moons, oh. which are getting more and more in view as we get closer Woo! to Pluto and Eric Brickmont's campaign and and war against uh, uh, Pluto as a dwarf yeah. planet. It begins. I just want to say, since we mentioned uh, Nepal, I just wanted to say great job on the episode, guys. I'm sorry I couldn't have been there for the uh, episode. The guys, I'm going to have you redirect that to great episode, uh, Sarah who quite honestly did the lion's uh, share of this. Thanks. Is that a thing? A lion's share? Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. good. I'm just making it's sure. It's a metaphor. Yeah. Okay, just making sure. Sometimes I get things wronger. Um, so, again, thank you, Sarah. No, no. Amazing job. Thank yes, you guys indeed. for letting me talk at you. And uh, <laughs> thank you for the feedback, however uh, small it is. We do appreciate it unless. And yep. you can continue to give us feedback by Googling Nerdonomy and finding us through our multitude of social media outlets as well as Nerdonomy.com and clicking on the Talk to Us link. And Sarah, uh-huh. tell us, what else can they do when they go to Nerdonomy.com? Oh, you know, they can peruse some of our old blog articles if they really feel like it. But what's probably more important is going to the merch page, buying a t-shirt. Don't want to do that. What if you want to just give a straight donation? We, were, we really wouldn't mind that at all. Or if you're just browsing around and you think, man, I really want to try audiobooks, you can go to audibletry.com com slash nerdonomy and uh, pick up a free trial and uh, we get a little kickback from it so thank you very much and guys yeah. don't forget about our social media because we've got the facebook and we're on the facebook twitter, we're on the twitter the and, and the all instagram that. yeah like yeah, i said yeah. you can google us and find us you'll through find us all somewhere places i guarantee if you google nerdonomy you will find us we've tested it yep it works it does it is john thank you again for being with us this evening. It was a fun conversation. Thank you guys for having me. I know I'm no 
no super expert on surfing, but it was fun to come in here and talk about my experience. We, we couldn't really talk about it without somebody who had actually been on a surfboard. So yes. thank you. Because oh, okay. you were like, perspective. And what I mean is like on a surfboard and actually been surfing, not like in those weird little pose things where you're behind a fake wave. And right. Yeah. Or almost dying. Oh, like yeah. Me. Yeah, yeah. At the yeah. boardwalk. Yeah. So. I've, I've done those. Yeah, we've done plenty <laughs> of those. Yeah. Um, so again, thank you very much. And uh, nerds, it is that time. So until we meet again, stay nerdy and tune into our next exciting episode. Same nerd time, same nerd channel, nerdonomy.com. Bye. Aloha. Bueno. <laughs> so you guys don't like what i did with the cave brian to be totally honest i've seen most of these decorations around and they're pretty plain in fact, if you go down the Alameda and you keep driving past 27th Street and you turn right, you'll get to that uh, party store. And quite honestly, most of this could easily have just come from there. Uh, come to think of it, that's where I met Lana. God damn it. Hey guys, I made coconut bras for everyone. Chaw! Chaw!